Hello, my name is Anne, and I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as the apostle of the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Anne. It'd be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open. We'll be working uh, through that passage, so do keep it open. If you're a note taker as well, uh, you'll find uh, a structure on the inside of the uh, handout which might help uh, for note taking and to follow along as well. But as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please uh, pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your Son and in your Word. Uh, please quieten our hearts and minds as we come before your Word now. May we respond rightly through the power of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, have you ever had someone try and scam you? Uh, a few years ago, I went through a period where every couple of weeks I'd get the same scam phone calls. Uh, they all went exactly the same. Uh, they'd start with a call from a random number that started with eight. Uh, when I picked up, there'd be a long pause and then an automated voice would start speaking and tell me that I owed money to the ATO and that, in fact, an, a, a warrant for my arrest had been issued. Now, of course, that was quite a fearful thing. And so, um, yes, yeah, so of course, I didn't want that. And so, so the solution, they said, was to stay on the line and make a payment. And so that's how every single one of them went. And they all ended in the same way, uh, with me staying on the line and politely telling the, the people there what I thought of their scam. And actually, incidentally, that was when I got taken off the scam call list. And so um, evidently, if you politely tell them many times over and over what you think of their scam calls, they stop calling you. So now, anytime they call Cassie, I tell her, just let me answer. If I answer, you'll be taken off the list soon. But I wonder, have you ever had someone try and scam you? I'm sure you have. Maybe it's scam calls like that, or maybe it's uh, scam emails. This is an email I got the other day telling me I'd won a draw for $500 that I hadn't even entered. And so, so that was amazing. I'm sure you've received emails like that. Scams, they're all over the place, aren't they? I heard a story the other day. There's a new scam going around, apparently, about fake COVID cases. So apparently the way it works is you get a text message telling you that you're a close contact of someone who's had COVID and they give you a link. And they say, click on this link and we'll give you a free COVID test kit, PCR test kit. And when you click on it, it's a scam link. It takes you and they try and use that to con you out of your money. It, it might sound incredible, but in the article I was reading about it, someone fell for that scam and lost $60,000 to that scam. It's terrible. But of course, it's not always about money and bank details. Cassie and I love watching documentaries, and just uh, recently we finished watching a documentary called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. It's about fundamentalist Mormons, how uh, one man there had managed to con a whole group of people, scam a whole group of people into thinking he was God's messenger. And so they would do anything he told them to. And he had the power to give and take away marriages. He had the power to give and take away children. He had the power to give and take away, supposedly, entry into heaven. It was a terrible scam. I wonder, have you ever had someone try and scam you? But let me ask you this, how do you know that Paul's not like that? How do you know that Paul is not trying to scam you? How do you know that Paul is someone that you can listen to and you can trust? See, it's a question we, we must know the answer to, because with many of those scams I've told you about, uh, what's at stake is our bank balance, our private details. And that is an important thing, uh, that family that lost $60,000, that is a big deal. But this, if Paul is scamming here, this is an even bigger deal, because this is not just our money, this is not just our life savings on offer, this is our eternal destination, our eternal life and salvation is on the line here. This is a matter of heaven and hell. And so then, how do you know that Paul is not a scammer? Well, in a sense, that's the question that Paul's answering in our passage today. He'd planted the church in Galatia, then he'd continued on his mission journey. 
But after he was gone, some people came along, some imposters came along, and they basically said, Paul is a scammer. He hasn't told you the full details. He's left out some of the information, and this is what you need to know. And so Paul is now sending a letter to the Galatians, telling them he's not a scammer, and telling them why he can be trusted. And to do that, he makes two arguments. That we can trust him because he's preaching God's gospel, and we can trust him because he's approved by God's apostles. And so the first reason we know it's not a scam is because Paul is preaching God's gospel. It's a message straight from Jesus. Did you see that in verses 1 to 2? Have a look. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See, this message isn't something man-made. Paul didn't hear it from a man. He wasn't taught it by a man. It's not about a man. Uh, This message is straight from the source. It's straight from Jesus Christ. And what is that message that Paul's talking about? Well, it's what we heard last week at the start of Galatians, that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and our Father. See, that is Paul's message. And it's a message we'll hear over and over again in the book of Galatians. And that message is straight from Jesus. See, Paul isn't preaching his own gospel. He's preaching God's gospel. And so that's why we know we can trust him. That's why we know it's not a scam. But to illustrate this, to kind of back this up, Paul then, in a sense, gives us his own testimony. He tells us what impact this gospel from God had on his own life. And to do it, he gives us the before, the then, and the after. He starts with the before. Uh, Before Paul heard this message, he was a Jew among Jews. He hated Christians with a passion. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. Chapter 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. See, Paul was climbing up the ranks of Jewish leaders and he was persecuting Christians. In fact, we hear about that quite a lot in the book of Acts. Uh, This is what we see in Acts chapter 8. It says, uh, Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And we're also told this, Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is who Paul was. This is the before for Paul. This was a man who hated Christians. His job was literally to go around putting them in jail or killing them. And so in a sense, maybe he's something a little bit like Osama bin Laden or an ISIS terrorist. This is someone whose whole life was devoted to hating Christians. And yet what happened? Well, in Acts chapter 9, it was our first reading before, Jesus appeared to Paul and he knocked Paul down. And in a sense, he turned Paul's life on its head. See, from that moment on, Paul was converted and the persecutor became the preacher. It's such an abrupt about-face, such an abrupt U-turn, that it can't be anything other than from God. It's because Paul was struck by the power of this gospel from God. 
And what I really love about the story of Paul, is that, um, Paul's conversion, is that it reminds us that no one is beyond God's redeeming hand. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Sometimes when I chat with people, I just feel so discouraged. I'm tempted to feel so discouraged. I might explain the gospel over and over again, and it's just so easy to feel like they're just not getting it. They're just never going to get it. They're just so disinterested in what God says. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt discouraged sharing the gospel with someone? Well, the story of Paul's conversion reminds us that no one is beyond God's reach. God did it with Paul, and God can do it with those in our lives too. So what an encouragement it is that we can have such confidence in the power of God. But that's the before. We're then told the then about Paul. Uh, God stepped in and converted Paul. And uh, God gave him the task of revealing Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, that is, to those who aren't Jews. And that's what we see in verses 15 and 16. Have a look. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I really love here uh, how Paul says that actually, even though he didn't know it, God knew him from his mother's womb. Uh, Did you see that? And with all that's going on at the moment about abortion and uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, the Bible is so clear that God knows us even from the time we're in our mother's womb. Even from conception, God knew Paul and God knows us. Uh, But let me ask you this. What would you expect Paul to have done when he was converted? If you were counselling someone who'd just been converted, what would you advise them to do? Well, perhaps we'd encourage them to join the Christianity Explored course that we run here at church so they can keep learning about Jesus. Or perhaps we'd encourage them to join a growth group so they can uh, study God's Word together with other Christians. Or perhaps we'd tell them to find an older Christian and read the, meet up and read the Bible one-to-one. And all of those things are great things. And if you are a new Christian or if you're considering Christianity, uh, then can I encourage you to do all of those things? Those are all great things to do. But did you see what Paul does when he gets converted? Have a look at verses 16 and 17. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Do you notice he doesn't do any of that? Instead, he goes off into Arabia, then into Damascus. And now, Paul's not saying this is what we should do. He's not advocating that new converts should head into outback Australia for a couple of years before joining a growth group. I think what we've got to remember is that the Bible isn't always prescriptive. It's not always telling us what we should do. Sometimes it's descriptive. And so there's those two parts to the Bible. Some of the Bible, lots of the Bible, is prescriptive. It's telling us what we should do. The Ten Commandments are a classic example of that. Uh, Don't murder, don't steal, uh, do honour your parents. It's prescribing to us what we should do. But we've got to remember other parts of the Bible are descriptive. It's not telling you what you should do. It's telling you what someone else did do. And so here, it's descriptive. It's telling us what Paul did. And Paul is unique. He's a unique apostle with unique authority from the risen Lord Jesus, given a unique experience from God. 
And the point of this, the, Paul, the point that Paul is making is that he didn't get his message from a man. He didn't go into Jerusalem and learn from the other church leaders what he's meant to say. He didn't go and learn what the message is. Instead, he went off and he studied Scripture and meditated on this gospel from God. And then only after, only after three years of that, did he go to Jerusalem and meet Peter and James. See, only after he was clear on what this gospel from God was, did he go and see them. And even then, he only stayed 15 days, which is nowhere near long enough to have got the message from them. See, Paul wants us to know for sure that we can trust him because he's preaching God's gospel, not something from men. After this, he went into Syria and Cilicia, that's verse 21. Uh, Those there didn't know him, but they had heard the reports about him, that the one who'd been persecuting the church was now preaching the gospel. I really love what it says. Have a look at verses 23 and 24. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. They heard it and they praised God. And isn't that the case? If we heard someone who was so anti, vividly anti-Christian become a Christian, then we'd praise God too. But so that's the first point that Paul makes. How do we know that Paul is not scamming us? How do we know Paul can be trusted? Well, because the gospel he's preaching is from God. The message of rescue and salvation in Jesus Christ alone isn't a man-made message. It's directly from God. And in a sense, uh, that should be all we need. That's all we need to trust Paul. That's all we need to know, to know that Paul is not a scammer. But in God's kindness, we're actually given a second reason as well, uh, and that is that Paul is approved by God's apostles. Uh, Paul now tells us about his interaction with the apostles, with Peter, James and John. Now remember, a capital A apostles were given a special mission by the risen Lord Jesus. There weren't many of them, and they were the leaders of the early church. In particular, there were three who were the, the leaders of the early church. Peter, uh, your translation might say Cephas, that's his Aramaic name, but Peter, James, and John. And what we see is that 14 years have passed since Paul's conversion, and so Paul now takes Barnabas and Titus, and he heads to Jerusalem. And did you see why it is that he went along? Have a look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. I went in response to a revelation. It's a revelation from God. Now, this might seem like a bit of a kind of uh, throwaway line, like, like it's actually not that important, but I think it actually is really important. Uh, it's not like Paul was hauled before the leaders. It's not like they looked and thought he was a scam, and so now they're calling him in to bring him to account. It's not like he's, they're calling him into the principal's office. Uh, when I was a school teacher, I reckon that was about the most powerful weapon I had in my tool belt, uh, to threaten a student who was misbehaving, that I'd send them to the year-level coordinator's office, or if they were really misbehaving, I'd threaten to send them to the principal's office. And just the threat of that alone was usually enough to make them stop misbehaving. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Paul is not being hauled before his superiors. This is not Paul going here in obedience to a man's command. This is Paul going here as a direct divine revelation, a divine instruction. And when there, he met with the leaders privately to present the gospel message he'd been preaching. 
And did you see why? Have a look at verse 2. I went in response to Revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles. Particularly here, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Is that what you'd expect Paul to say? Paul, who's so staunch in his faith, who's so clear on the gospel, says he wanted to be sure he wasn't running his race in vain. What's going on? Is Paul doubting himself and his message? Well, it can't be that, because Paul literally had the risen Lord Jesus appear to him and give him this message. And he's so convinced of the gospel that in just the previous chapter, he says, if anyone else preaches a different gospel, even if Paul preaches a different gospel, let them be eternally condemned. So it can't be that he's doubting his message. Rather, I think what's going on here is that he's concerned that the gospel work he's doing might be undermined by others. And so he'd be running his, his race in vain in that sense. See, if Paul is preaching salvation by Jesus alone, without the need for Old Testament laws like circumcision, if that's what he's preaching, but then these church leaders in Jerusalem are saying, no, 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 actually you do need circumcision, you do need Old Testament laws, then all of Paul's work will be under, underdone, undone, undermined. It's a bit like this, imagine if I taught you how to drive a car, and I told you, always keep both your hands on the steering wheel, uh, to do head checks when you're merging, to always keep to the speed limit, and of course, always give thank you waves to those who let you in. If I taught you that, then you hop in the car with someone else, and they tell you, no, don't say thanks. Don't, uh, just push your way in, speed all the time, veer wildly all over the road. It doesn't matter. If you heard that message enough, then eventually it's going to undermine the good instructions that I've given you. We know that's the way things work in life, don't we? If you, it doesn't matter if you've had good instruction, if that's then countered over and over again by bad instruction, by wrong instruction, then it undoes all of the good work. And that's what's going on here. That's what Paul is afraid of. He's afraid that all of his good work of preaching the gospel might be undone by someone else. And the consequences here are infinitely more dangerous than just driving in a car. This is the eternal salvation of countless souls on the line here. So Paul needs to know, will his work be undermined? And did you see the answer? Verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. See, these apostles are completely on board with Paul and Paul's message, so much so that even Titus, who's a Greek, that is uncircumcised, didn't need to be circumcised. I think that's probably why Paul brought Titus along as a kind of live case, uh, because these spies, as Paul calls them in verse 4, had infiltrated the church, and they were trying to push a different gospel. They were trying to push a gospel of, that mixed Jesus with Old Testament. They'd say, yeah, Jesus is good, but you also need circumcision. They wanted a mix of new covenant with old covenant. Jesus plus law-keeping. But Paul knows that actually that's stealing away the freedom that we have in Christ. And so he brings along uncircumcised Titus to this meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem as a kind of test case to see what they say. And you can just imagine uh, Paul's chat with Titus on the way there. 
Now you can imagine he would have said something like, now, uh, look, Titus, if all goes well, then we'll leave again together in a couple of days. Uh, but if things don't go well, then uh, you might need to stay behind for a couple of weeks of recovery time. But what happens? Well, the apostles agreed with Paul's message. Salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. We do not need circumcision. We do not need rule keeping. We do not need anything like that. It's by faith in Jesus alone. And so Titus was spared. And I think what it makes clear here is that the apostles know Paul is not a scammer. He's approved by God's apostles. And so much so that they add nothing to his message. Did you see that in verse 6? Have a look. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. See, they don't want to change anything that Paul's saying. They don't want to add anything to what Paul's saying because what he's saying is from God. What he's saying is the truth. I was reminded of this quote by the famous uh, preacher, Spurgeon. He says, rest assured there's nothing new in theology except that which is false. There's nothing new in theology except that which is false. And that's the case here with Paul. There's nothing new. They don't need to add anything because anything else added on would be false. It's already the truth. That is what's going on here. This message from Paul is approved by God's apostles. And in fact, we're told in verses 7 and 8 that they recognized actually Paul had been given a special mission to the Gentiles. Uh, while Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And then did you see how it closes? Have a look at verse 9. Peter, James and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They shake hands. Now, shaking hands back then was exactly the same as it is today. It's meant to be a, a sign of kind of warmth and acceptance. It's a sign of uh, partnership and friendship. Imagine if you were that family I mentioned at the start that lost $60,000 to those scammers. If you were them and if you met the scammers, what would you do? Would you shake hands with the people that had stolen $60,000 off you? Of course not. And we don't shake hands with people that have scammed us. And so it's clear here that the apostles know Paul is not a scammer. He has their approval. Paul is approved by God's apostles. And then it simply closes by them asking Paul to also give money to the poor, which Paul was very keen to do as well. And so that's our passage. Paul isn't a scammer. He's not a fraud. He's not a fake. Because he's preaching God's gospel and because he's approved by God's apostles. And I think knowing that gives us such confidence in Paul, but even more importantly, it gives us such confidence in the gospel. The message that there's rescue in Christ alone, that we don't need law-keeping, that we don't need rule-keeping, that we don't earn our salvation, but simply that even though we're sinners deserving of judgment, God sacrificed his son for us to rescue us. That's the message of the gospel, and that's the message that Paul is preaching. And that's the message that we will hear over and over and over again as we work through the book of Galatians. Because ultimately, that is God's gospel. And that message is not a scam. Now, one of the things I do, one of the first things I do when working on a sermon, is I just spend time reflecting on the passage for myself 
and thinking about uh, what impact it should have on me, how it should challenge or convict, encourage or exhort me in my own personal life. And so this week I spent quite a bit of time uh, reflecting on that, reflecting on the, the so what. Uh, what does it matter for us that this is not a scam? And really I think the big thing that comes out of this for me, but also for you, is the great confidence that it gives us. Great confidence that what we believe is true. Because the reality is we're bombarded by uh, all day, every day with counter messages, uh, with people trying to lure us away from God's gospel and to other things instead. We're told over and over again, don't believe God's gospel, believe something else. But the wonderful encouragement from this is that we can have such confidence that Paul's message is actually God's message. It comes from God himself and it is imbued with God's power. And so this divine gospel accomplishes what no human message can ever achieve. It has the power to save us. And so today, that's really what I want you to get out of this message, to get out of this sermon, a great and pervading confidence, a deep trust in God that this is God's gospel. I'm sure many of you have heard of the, the reformer Martin Luther, uh, he was, in a sense, the one who kicked off the, re the, uh, the Reformation when he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of a church. He's a man who went through all sorts of ups and downs in life, many challenges, many difficulties in life. In fact, at one stage, he was hunted by soldiers who were trying to capture so they could kill him. And so his life was, in many ways, a really difficult life. Yet he did it. He was willing to go through all of that because of what we see in passages like Galatians. He had such confidence that this is the message from God, that this isn't a scam, that salvation is found in Christ alone. And I really love what he says about the Christian life. This is what he says. Faith is living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. So sure and so certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. And isn't that the confidence that we can have? Such confidence in God's grace, such confidence that this isn't a scam, that we could stake our lives on it a thousand times. And maybe that is how you're feeling already today. Uh, maybe you're so sure and you're so set in your confidence that you would, you feel like you would stake your life on it a thousand times. Uh, if that is you today, then praise God for that. Keep trusting, keep having that confidence in God. But if you have doubts sometimes, if you hear the whispered words of the world and you have those doubts, then I hope that passages like this, Galatians 1 and 2, will give you such confidence, will strengthen your confidence that this isn't a scam, this is God's gospel approved by God's apostles. See, praise God that the message of salvation in Christ alone isn't a scam, that it's the surest thing there is. And because of that, we can have such confidence in God's grace that we could stake our lives on it a thousand times. I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for your apostle. We thank you for the fact that what he preaches is not a message from men. 
It's not made up by man. It didn't come from man. It's not about man. Rather, it is your gospel. And it's about you and your salvation given in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that this message is your gospel. And we thank you as well that uh, Paul's message was approved by your apostles, your special chosen messengers. Uh, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the great confidence that can give us that this message is true. This message of salvation in Christ alone is true. Would you help us to cling tightly to that? Would you help us put stake not just a thousand lives, but a million, an infinite amount of our lives on that wonderful truth, the gospel, that there's salvation in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.